escaping advertising is, is something that we'll probably never be able to accomplish, but uh, by all means, the, the forms in which you will be consuming advertising are going to change drastically, I believe. You're listening to Buff Speak, the official podcast of the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. I am Dr. Nick Gerlich, your host, as we meet up with the thought leaders making an impact today. 45 years have passed since I took my first university-level course in marketing back in 1977. Back then, the course was a lot simpler, especially advertising. After all, we only had print, broadcast, and outdoor to consider, and there wasn't even a crazy dream yet about marketing in the digital realm. The Jetsons broadcast in the early 60s, and then a feature film known as AD 1999 were our only glimpses into an imagined future. But even these couldn't begin to conceptualize just how much our lives and, and marketing would change a few decades later. But change it has, and now we live in a very different mediascape. My guest today is Jacob Buse of Sinclair Broadcast Group in Amarillo, the owner of KVII ABC7 Amarillo. Jacob is a marketing consultant there. I tell my digital marketing students that just because we have all these digital options available for advertising today doesn't mean that marketers have bigger ad budgets with more money to throw around. Sure, budgets may have grown because of inflation and so forth, but today marketers have to decide how to allocate finite funds among many options from old school to new school. Jacob, tell me, what do you do in your professional capacities to help clients spend what money they have? Well, just like we try to identify the intent of uh, people that we're trying to market to, we also want to know the intent of the person that we're providing services for. Um, in, a, in a landscape like today's, when there's so many different options for uh, producing uh, advertisements, we want to make sure that we're, we're doing a strategy that is reaching the intended audience exactly where it needs to be reaching them and is still having CPMs that are low enough that you can justify the price. I've been seeing a lot of state and local advertising on Hulu lately. Um, you know, Hulu is one of the most popular streaming services. During the election season back in October, I saw a slew of ads for Beto O'Rourke, and then with one week to go, Greg Abbott stepped it up. Uh, I also see ads routinely for car dealers and other nearby businesses. How is it that these companies and individuals can advertise on a nationwide streaming service, and do you help facilitate this? Absolutely, we do. So. Uh, at ABC7 Amarillo, we don't specifically do Hulu, um, which I was, I'm was i surprised by that, hopefully sometime in the near future. Uh, but the reason that these, these streaming services want to be uh, a, a space for advertisement is because it's, it's probably the, the last notch in the belt for them to be completely overtaking uh, modern television. Uh, knowing that you can have brand association with Hulu um, ma makes them even more uh, competitive, even more relevant in, in, in the space of media. What exactly are the demographics of Hulu subscribers? Or, you know, pick a different one that you might be more familiar with. Are they young, old, liberal, conservative? And 
And is Amarillo the same as the rest of the nation or different? So we see that Hulu is is predominantly young. It's it's 18 to 34-year-olds. About half of them would respond that they're currently a subscriber to Hulu's service. Um, and, and, and that's pretty well consistent across the country. Um, as far as their uh, political affiliations are concerned, uh, because of the age demographic that you see predominantly, uh, it's it's safe to assume that, that most people are probably a little bit more progressive, less conservative, um, and, and that's just because of the age demographic itself. Do you sell ads for any other streaming sites? Um, there's, there's plenty to go around, that's for sure. I think I subscribed to 10 last count. Um, there aren't enough hours in the week to be able to watch all of them, but um, we get it done little by little. Um, with our viewing habits effectively splintered across even more choices than just during the, the cable and the satellite era, we find ourselves gathering into little tribes of fans that might offer some truly lucrative opportunities. I agree completely. I do. Do you uh, have any other sites that you sell ads for? Yes, so we uh, we try to get into as many spaces as possible. I mean, as far as streaming is concerned, still on that topic, I mean, we, we put people at the forefront of uh, cable cutter applications like Sling TV and Fubo TV. Um, we, we like to be... Uh, on, on video game consoles even. Um, you know, if, if you're trying to target a younger demographic, you know, we can get you on PlayStation, we can get you on Xbox, um, we, can, we can get you on the spaces on PC where people are going and trying to find new video games or, or discuss video games with their friends. Uh, where, wherever the people are, we want to be there. Uh, and if we're not there yet, then you, you, can, you can rest assured that at some point in the near future we will be. A couple of months ago, Netflix launched a budget-minded service level with ads, totally going against their corporate grain. They said they would never, ever sell ads. Well, turns out they were hemorrhaging subscribers and started to need some money. So they decided, uh, we'll sell ads after all. What kinds of opportunities do you see there? I mean, after all, Netflix knows very little about us personally. Other than our viewing patterns, they don't, they don't even know my sex, age, income, or educational level. They just know that I'm Nick from my profile, and that's it. I was actually having a conversation about this with one of my friends, and uh, it made me think about that line that Justin Timberlake has in uh, uh, The Social Network, the film, uh, where he says, you know, ads aren't cool. That's why ads aren't on Facebook, or at least back then. And uh, I, I think that's why Netflix stayed away from ads for so long. But the problem that Netflix has run into, uh, in my personal opinion, is their content isn't cool anymore, or at least not in the way that it used to be. They have their tentpole programming, you know, I guess you could say. Uh, but they're, they're bleeding subscribers. Uh, they're bleeding money. Um, the, the cost of production for their original content is astronomical. So uh, it was really inevitable that they were going to have to introduce some kind of advertisement uh, into their service to, to alleviate that, that overhead. Um, as far as, as what Netflix is able to do as far as targeting, I, I think that you can actually extrapolate quite a bit from what people are interested in. Uh, j just, just knowing that, that 
someone likes Santa Clarita Diet or or is is a big fan of true crime might tell you a lot more about what other things that person might be interested in as far as products or services um, or other media. So even though Netflix doesn't know uh, very granular uh, bits of information about its subscribers, um, th there, there's plenty that they have to be able to, to narrow things down and, and make it a competitive ad space for, for businesses. So I'm going to tell you some of the shows that I have watched on Netflix just in the last year and um, see if you can profile me. Absolutely. On the, on the fly. Okay. Absolutely. So Squid Game, Ozark Season 4, Stranger Things Season 4, and then uh, in October, The Watcher, which was a really cool series. What do you know about me now? I can tell you that, that, that just by uh, you watching Ozark, uh, I know that you, you're probably a white male. Um, couldn't necessarily peg you on your age based off of that alone, but uh, you know, from from there, I can, I can, you know, make an educated guess. I I could say, that, okay, well, perhaps you you would be interested in uh, services that uh, are traditionally very successful with. Uh, you know what? That was a bit of a gotcha question for me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I get it because I, I can tell you about some of the what I think are very targeted ads on, on Hulu right now because um, this year um, I watched uh, Only Murders in the Building Season 2 and plowed through what we do in the shadows. And I get tons of ads for a website called For Hymns. It's for obviously hymns. for men, Absolutely. not for women. Okay, so – just because my profile has my first name, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a guy, but maybe the shows I'm watching tip my hand. Absolutely, absolutely. And they do have the information, you know, that, that, that states, uh, you know, he watched this, he also watched this, he also watched this. Uh, obviously, there's certain aspects of that media that are speaking to you individually and that are capturing your interest and uh, and that's what advertising is at its core nowadays, especially, is, is telling a story. If you're interested in the story that this form of media has to tell, then more than likely you, you'd respond positively to the messaging that this business has in their advertising. We hear a lot about SEO these days, too, search engine optimization. With so many voices in the wild, uh, well, I mean advertisers, you know, uh, it's become increasingly difficult to stand out in the crowd. We're bombarded with ads no matter where we go, at every turn. And worse yet, whenever we Google something, we often get hundreds of thousands of possible hits. Yet we seldom scroll down more than three pages of results. What is SEO and how do you work with clients to help them rise to the top? So SEO or search engine optimization uh, is the process of making somebody more competitive in in search queries. You know, if you're looking for an Amarillo plumber and and you have a plumbing business, you want to be in the, the first four search results of Google, let's say. The way that you become more competitive uh, on Google or any other search engine, the way that you climb up the search results is by identifying a niche. You know, you're never going to compete with 
major corporations like like Amazon. You're never you're never going to be bigger than Google, uh, but but you can be bigger than the competition locally, absolutely. And we do that through keyword analysis, making sure that uh, Google understands what your content is about. Uh, your your website, if you're a plumber, needs to have a, a lot of copy that that informs Google. Okay, this is this is a local plumber. They're based in Amarillo, Texas. These are the services they provide. These are the prices that they're providing to their clients. Uh, the other thing that you want to make sure is that your your website, your online digital property, is running efficiently. Google takes into account things like your page speed or whether or not your content looks spammy. Google has a reputation to uphold, absolutely. And the only way that they can uphold that rec that reputation is by only recommending people to online users that have quality content that's relevant, that's modern, uh, that that's not going to leave them disappointed. And that's why you'll find personally you never have to go past the first four search results because the quality results that you're looking for they're front loaded, and and that's very purposeful. So the goal of effective search engine optimization, the way that you make a small business owner competitive in the online space is making sure that they're bringing forth value. Um, and, and even though it can take time, it's absolutely possible to accomplish that without breaking the bank. Back in the old days of web programming, meaning like back in the late 90s, people tried to hack the system a little by loading a bunch of keywords into hidden places in the web design, you know, into the page that uh, was all there, but you didn't necessarily see all these things. So if you were doing uh, a web page for a plumber locally, you would have things like Amarillo, plumbing, pipes, and all the all the words that have to do with plumbing. Then that kind of got out of fashion. Google uh, kind of caught on to that. So I guess it now behooves you to weave these keywords into your just your plain old text in the page. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we have terms for that. We have what are called black hat strategies, which are the strategies that worked in the past but are more than likely going to get you a violation on Google's behalf. Uh, and then we have white hat strategies. So white hat strategies, um, you have to have a lot more intent behind them. It, it takes a lot more craft. It's not a simple plug and chug solution like uh, bombarding pages with keywords because uh, you know Google, Google recognizes when there's a level of saturation that is excessive um, and they they categorize that as uh, an unworthy or untrustworthy website. So you have to identify a group of words nowadays. So you wouldn't just have plumber. You, you would want to have uh, I'm an Amarillo plumber with 30 years of experience. Um, I bring value to my clients. Um, I support my community. You, you want to have relevant keywords that, that paint a picture of the kind of product or service that people are looking for. Uh, and, and I think it's a necessary change uh, because there's, there's a lot less wiggle room for deception as far as being competitive online. Um, you know, it, it may work for a little while, but it won't work for long. If, if long-term growth and success is your goal, then the only way to go about doing it is by, by crafting things uh, 
that have value. I've heard of bidding wars erupting, though, to get premier placement on the first page. These are the results that are the very first ones above the organic search results. And, and I've got a brother-in-law down in Florida who has uh, a home-based business in which he does um, home security as well as commercial security systems, and, and then he also does home theaters. How is a small business like him to survive if he, and he does do this, pay about 25 bucks each time somebody does a search query on Deland, Florida security systems? You know, it's, it's, it's a tough conversation nowadays, you know, because, I mean, back in 2002, you know, it, it cost five cents uh, for a click conversion on Google. And it was grossly undervalued. I think what we're seeing right now is that uh, prices are, are, are finding their, their actualized point where they're supposed to be, what the actual value of these services truly is. And, and that's uncomfortable because, uh, you know, one of the great things about digital marketing and digital advertising was is a, its affordability. And it still is affordable. I, I think $25, you know, for a potential conversion is still, you know, that, that, that's, that's nice. Um, it's a higher CPM than most would like. Uh, but, you know, where CPMs are higher is where the more potential for a conversion is. The lower your CPM, you know, you're getting in front of more people but you may not be getting in front of a qualified individual, someone who is, who is really a perfect fit for the product or service that you're providing and is much more likely to make a sale. So what I would say to small businesses is you just need to make sure that your, your campaigns are well optimized. You need to make sure you're targeting the right people. Um, you know, if, if it's going to be $25 a click for a conversion, uh, you want to make sure that you're getting the most bang for your buck because the three most important words in any marketing strategy are return on investment. And if you're not seeing that, something needs to be fixed. Um, you know, it, it may even be uh, your business itself that needs to be uh, thought about in, in, in greater detail. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but I heard once that uh, nothing will expose a bad business or a bad product like great marketing. And I think that that's the truth. If, if your marketing isn't producing more money for you, then it's a problem with what you're selling. It's a problem with your messaging uh, as, a, as a brand, you know. Uh, something you're doing uh, or selling is not resonating with people. Um, it's, it's not the fault of the CPC. Uh, it, it's, it's the fault of whatever you're selling. Now, let's do a little jargon alert here for listeners. CPM stands for... So the M is a little frustrating, but CPM is, is, is uh, a metric of, uh, you know, cost per thousand impressions. So for every thousand people that you're getting your advertisement in front of, that, that's, that's your CPM. So, you know, let's, let's say, uh, you know, you, you go to television has a pretty low CPM. Um, it, it's, it's an easy way to get in front of a lot of people cheaper um, than a lot of online digital solutions. It's less targeted. But uh, if exposure is your goal, you know, television's a great option. Um, I think that you're going to see CPMs growing exponentially for, for uh, digital marketing campaigns. 
but again, I, I go back to what I said before. You know, a higher CPM is not necessarily something to be afraid of. Um, the higher the CPM, that means the higher the potential. Um, there, there's a lot that you can do to make sure that you're still being competitive and that your money is being well spent. Um, and you don't have to break the bank necessarily. You know, there's you can tailor your campaigns to your budget. You know, you may not get as many conversions, but that that's what testing is for. You know, test one, test two versions of the same campaign for the same product or service, and see which one's more successful. Keep the successful one, and then create a third option, and then a fourth option, and 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 you know, by process of elimination, you will eventually have created a strategy that is effective with your demographic and that you know for a fact when I put out this campaign it's going to generate a return on my investment and then that that $25 conversion or that you know $35 CPM expense doesn't seem so daunting it seems like everyone today thinks they're in the advertising business it started when Google and Facebook realized the upside potential of selling ads while disguised as providing a service or entertainment for us. But now Amazon is selling ads within its site. And just this fall, back in October, Uber announced Journey ads, in-app ads placed squarely in front of a passenger who has already announced his or her destination. It doesn't get much more laser-focused than this, and it hits people at a time when they're least expecting ads. Kind of like this, going to the convention center? Well. Here are some restaurants and bars nearby. Well, and, and that's just the nature of the time that we live in. You know, everything is is designed to capture the consumer's attention. Every, every, consumers want to feel like anything that they're consuming was was made especially for them. Um, and and you know, being being told, hey, here here's some uh, forms of recreation right next to where you're going to be going. You know, here's that bar. Here's a, here's a restaurant within walking distance. I think that uh, I think that that's something that's going to resonate well with people because they 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 want convenience more than anything, and and it's also you know on the flip side, convenient for businesses that they're able to target uh, so effectively in that manner. I think that you could absolutely make an argument for you know whether it's ethical. But uh, at, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the digital age. Uh, it makes more sense for, for Uber to have this Journey Ads integration than to not have it. Um, and and I, I'm excited to see uh, where strategies like this go next. Well, this leads me to my next point, one that I stress over and over with my students. We have become an audience of one society. The ads we see are tailored to us personally, whether it is retargeting based on a search we did yesterday uh, or our destination in rideshare or as Facebook does, profiling based on all of our likes and posts and comments. To be honest, I kind of like being sold things for which I have a proven interest. Uh, it, this would be like playing Jeopardy. Um, products... I will never buy. Um, what are feminine hygiene products? Pickup trucks, Android devices? Yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the two hundred bucks for that. I don't want to see ads for things I'm never gonna buy. 
How has this tactic made life better for marketers, and are they truly able to get more bang for their advertising buck now? Absolutely. You know, you, you've eliminated an, an entire portion of the market that is never going to be interested in your services. You're not wasting your time. Uh, you're able to qualify clients before you ever cold call them, before they ever get um, an email from one of your email campaigns, before um, they receive any direct mail. Um, it, 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 it's an on-demand economy that we live in, and we, we can't afford to waste time or money on consumers that will never have any interest in our product. Uh, this is beneficial not only to the marketers as far as their their jobs are concerned, but like you said, you know, nobody has any interest having products and services shoved down their throat that, that don't apply to them. And, uh, you know, ad advertising has become an experience in itself. And, and I think that that's, that's a good thing. Um, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny because uh, it, it has elements of old school advertising to it. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, back then selling products and services was almost less about the product and the service and the way that it made you feel. And uh, I think we're, we're seeing a return to, okay, well, we only want to show products and services to people that are going to feel something that are, are, are going to have uh, some kind of response to this that is within our interests. So let's talk about companies and individuals who need an online presence of some kind. How important is online branding and what are the elements of that brand? Online branding is extremely multifaceted. Uh, but I think that the most important thing that you can do when it comes to online branding is to contextualize yourself to the space that you are in. And uh, what, what I mean by that is you, you can't market on YouTube the same way that you would market on Instagram or TikTok uh, because audiences will reject you. Um, if, if you're not on TikTok, uh, understanding trends, implementing them, in, in, into your content, people aren't going to respond to it. If you if you just try to condense a fifteen to thirty second advertisement that you you would have, you know, placed on the homepage of your website and throw it onto TikTok, it's going to get absolutely no traction. So you have to understand not only uh, your audience, your demographic, but you also have to understand the unwritten rules of the space. You know, if 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 you're going to market on Facebook. Uh, you're going to do it differently than you're going to do it on Instagram. You know, Instagram is, is really big right now with the introduction of the Reels feature. It, it's, it's got a pretty impressive algorithm that gets people in front of the people that they want watching their content. Uh, but even if you are advertising on Reels, your content needs to be entertaining. It needs to be funny. It, it needs to be interesting. Uh, it, it can't just be... Uh, a bulleted ad point, you know, rundown of, of what it is that you're trying to get people to buy. You can't say buy this, buy this, buy this anymore. You you have to capture someone's attention first. Uh, it, that makes sense within the space that you're in. And then you can provide value. And then you can you can push your product, push your service, and make a sale.
uh, you see a lot of people turning to comedy now, especially people who do really successful in things like affiliate marketing. It's not it's not the products or services that they're selling that that garnered their audiences. It's it's being funny, it's being relatable, um, and then the sales come secondary, but they come in droves for and, quite a few people. And yet they're able to build a brand through all of that. Yeah, their 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 branding is themselves. They're they're an an influencer. You know, you you hear that word tossed around a lot, but it's true. I mean, you know, you used to pay basketball players millions of dollars to be in your head and shoulders commercial. Now you want the hottest person on TikTok. You you want that YouTuber, uh, you know, who makes mukbang videos on, you know. <laughs> but but people, uh, that trust that trust is very important to consumers. And I, I think that the idea is that this person creates content that makes me smile or that I relate to. Um, I, I take time out of my day to consume their content because it makes me feel something. And if they're selling something, uh, you know, I, I can trust them. I, I, can, I can trust their, their association with this brand, this product, this service, because I enjoy them so much. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's something that agencies have to contend with because that's not what we do. But it, it, it is absolutely taking off. Uh, so, you know, I, to circle back, I don't know if I've even answered your question, but uh, online branding is a mixed bag. You know, it, but, but it really comes with understanding trends, understanding what people think is cool, what people think is interesting. And, uh, because if, if, if you're in an online space that doesn't think that you're cool or interesting, you're never going to make it. Is it necessary for a company or individual to have a presence on all the platforms? Seems to me it would be terribly expensive and time-consuming to have to create content and monitor feedback on every social media site, not to mention trying to write blogs, send emails, and host podcasts. Absolutely not. And, and, and the reason is, I mean, uh, of course everything is saturated the sheer amount of content that you would have to produce to gain any traction on on, on one platform or another is, is outrageous. Um, and, you know, people make the argument, well, it only takes once. It, it only takes that one time for something that you produce and put on the Internet to, to get traction. Uh, but, you know, it begs the question, does, does a construction company need to be on TikTok? You know, does a, would a doctor's office be better off being on LinkedIn? Than advertising on Snapchat. Uh, I think that you you can absolutely tailor your messaging to the most effective platform that that supports that message. Um, you know, just what what is your brand? Is your brand you know stoic and professional, or is it lighthearted and counterculture in nature? You know, the, the spaces that are appropriate for you are completely different after doing an analysis like that. Let's take a look at social media stores, which are all the rage these days on Instagram and Facebook. In addition to becoming advertising portals, these sites have also become shopping platforms. How effective are they in this regard? And do you think people really want to shop when they just came to check on what their friends are doing? You know, I, I think that... 
I think it's a misconception that people get on Facebook anymore really to check what their friends are doing. I think people get on Facebook because uh, it, it, is, it is just an addiction. It, it's, a, it's a never-ending feed that uh, triggers a dopamine response. And, of course, Facebook wants to have your attention for as long as possible. And, and what, what's more addicting online than, than online shopping and content consumption simultaneously? Uh, I think that Facebook was very uh, tactful in their inclusion of the marketplace. Um, I, I think that it's a very practical thing to have. I, mean, I, I use it all the time, um, especially when I need to unload stuff because I'm a hoarder or it would just be nice to have a little extra spending money. Oh, there's a lot of utility to that. But it, it serves the dual purpose of keeping people's attention. It's within Facebook's interest that you are on their application or on their website absolutely as long as possible. Uh, you know, mo most, most smartphones have a feature where you can go in and look at your daily or weekly consumption of a specific application. I would, I would uh, you know, challenge anybody to go in and look at those metrics and tell me that in the four hours you were on Facebook yesterday, uh, you remember anything that your friends were doing. Why were you there for four hours? It's an interesting question. What did you do for four hours? Do you remember any of it? But they got you. One last thing before we catch our breaths. Our smartphones allow for some amazing flexibility in advertising because we are necessarily pinging off cell phone towers everywhere we go, we are also passing by or near many places of business. It's possible to use geofences, which are basically invisible barbed wire fences, if you will, to make this as Texas as possible. And these are used to target potential customers as soon as they unwittingly cross into a certain territory of your own definition. I used to be amazed when my Google Maps would tell me, turn right after the Starbucks. Of course, this is a route that I asked for. I'm going from A to B, and it's taken me there. But now it's telling me to turn right after the Starbucks, not turn right on McGregor Street or whatever. I would be even more amazed to get hit with ads as I'm just cruising down the freeway, all because I brought with me all the baggage of prior choices, prior preferences, and just accidentally crossed an invisible line. Tell me, Jacob, what kinds of things are being done in this area? You know, we, we know what people are interested in. It's very easy to do. Uh, an extremely targeted campaign because people, people willingly offer who they are and what they like and what they want to see online all the time. Uh, so by identifying search intent or, or their, their history of consumption online, we're able to provide advertisements that are extremely relevant to them. Um, but more than that, we're, we're able to, in real time, provide relevant advertising to someone when it's most likely to be effective. Like you said, I, I, you know, I'm driving my car and uh, GPS is saying turn right at the Starbucks. Uh, it's, it's incredible to think that you could have an immediate conversion 
off of an ad placement, you know, we, we talk in, in digital marketing, it, on average, it takes about six or seven impressions uh, or, or, or steps down the chain of interaction before you uh, actually convert a prospect with your with your media campaigns. Uh, but with with something like this, not only are you, you planting the seed for later on, but there's the possibility that immediately when you plant the seed, you have a conversion. Turn right at the Starbucks. Oh, there's a Starbucks there. Well, I think I'll stop. Um, I, I, I really, I pay a lot of attention to this space of advertising because I think it's, it's extremely interesting that the only thing, uh, well, let me rephrase that. Everybody has the connection between themselves and the people trying to reach them via their cell phone. And, and uh, that's, that's not going to change. Uh, if, if anything, it's just going to grow in the applications in which we are able to reach people, uh, which I think is very exciting. Uh, it, it, it gets me out of bed in the morning, you know, what, what's different today? Uh, and the rate at which advertising changes as a landscape is incredible. Um, I, I can't wait to see what I'm doing in 10 years to, to be able to push relevant advertising to people on demand where they are, where it's going to have an effect. One of my most frequent queries in Google Maps, and by the way, Google Maps is just as much a search engine as regular old Google, is craft breweries near me. I travel a lot, and so I like to taste the local culture. And so I'm, I'm, that's one of my most frequent queries. In fact, it, it knows me in that regard. I start typing the, f the first few letters. It finishes it for me. How cool would it be if Google took that a few steps further and notice that I was driving through an, a different area and it just threw an ad. Maybe the, the Google lady got on and said, there's a craft brewery near you without me having to ask for it only because it sensed that I'm near one and by golly, he's got a search record. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, Google, get on this if you're listening. No, absolutely. And you know, I'm not somebody that believes that advertising is bad. I think that advertising can can be uh, the thing that is responsible for you having a specific experience in your life, uh, like visiting a craft brewery that you otherwise wouldn't have known existed. Uh, and, and that's the direction we're going. Um, and, and we've touched on it briefly during this conversation about how we, we're an audience of one economy now. We're, we're the, the attention economy the creator economy and that's what advertisers want to be more than anything is they want to be not only creators but curators if if i'm not creating what you're interested in i want to curate everything that you're interested in and put it right in front of you because i know that it's something that you'll like and and that's the goal you know to produce something that you like and I don't see the harm in that. I, I would absolutely love to see something like that become more applicable in the future. After the break, we'll dive into one of the most contentious issues facing people today, online privacy. It's something that affects every one of us. There's a reason why our programs are rated so highly by independent reviewers. We are committed to continuously improving what we do. Whether it is in the classroom or online, the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business strives to stay ahead of the curve, not behind it. 
Join us in the classroom or online and see the difference. We're WCSB accredited and among the most elite business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT business degree in hand. For more info, find us online at wtamu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2525. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we are here to help you reach for those stars. Not a day goes by in which I don't hear some mention of online privacy. It almost seems like a foregone conclusion anymore. Once we check that little terms of service box, we grant access to app developers and others to peek into our everyday lives, our comings and goings, our searches, our posts, our likes, you name it. Not a thing that we do online goes unnoticed. How real is the perceived threat to our privacy, Jacob? And can this genie be put back in the bottle, or is it too late? The, the honest answer is... Uh no, no one really knows yet. It's, it's, it's a very new space that we've found ourselves in. Technology grows exponentially nowadays. I mean, it was, it was two decades ago. People were still using flip phones, and, and now we have supercomputers with touchscreen displays. I mean, the, the cell phone you have in your pocket is more powerful than the technology that put a man on the moon. Uh, we're naive to to what we are, are using today. Uh, but I can tell you uh, with confidence that uh, this is something that marketers are taking very seriously and, and major companies like Google are taking very seriously. Google used to be the wild, wild west. You know, if you want to talk about uh, perceived or actual threats to privacy, uh, I, I think that you could wag a finger at Google quite a bit. Uh, you know, as, as recently as 10 years ago. Uh, but things have become much more stringent. Um, personally, at, at ABC7, you know, we, we adhere to the protocols that Google is using currently um, and the state of California uses, because California is, is the most strict, structured, uh, prohibitive state in the United States when it comes to what you can and can't do with marketing. Um, and and more rules are being written every single day. Um, you know, we were talking about search engine optimization, about how black hat doesn't work anymore. You have to go white hat. It takes time. It takes uh, more effort. Uh, but uh, it's a natural progression for a better form of digital advertising. So how how real is the perceived threat to our privacy? Uh, it's it's there. Um, you know, people know a lot about you, um, but it's it's nothing that you haven't volunteered, and, uh, and and I think that that's the the crux of the argument. You know, can you can you really be critical of it when you are a consumer of it? Um, and as long as everything that we're doing is agreed upon, and it's legal. Uh, you know, there's going to be moral ambiguity, I guess you could say, but that's been advertising forever. You know, it's, you know, back in the days you had a, you had an Axe commercial where they said, if you use our shampoo, women will literally break through the walls and rip off your clothes. You know, I, I would argue that that, you know, is, is a morally ambiguous advertisement in today's standards. Our standards will change. Um, the, the way that people consume advertising 
will change. This is an argument that's never going to go away. Um, but uh, I, I think that the steps are being made to, to make the, the playing field more fair for the consumer, um, more considerate. Um, especially when we consider the efforts that people are taking to keep data locked down. I think that's what people should be concerned about the most. It, it's not necessarily what a company is doing with your data. It's what someone else might do with your data if there was to be a breach. Um, that's the conversation that really needs to be had. You know, how are we storing data? How are we keeping people's privacy uh, by, by making sure that our security standards and protocols are up to par. Uh, I think that you could say there are quite a few companies that have a lot of investments to make in that regard to make sure that they're protecting their consumers. Is it possible that our personal information could be used against us somehow? I, I, I get not-so-subtle reminders every week on my phone showing a detailed breakdown of my screen time, and every month Google sends me a handy little map with pins showing everywhere it has noticed me. Facebook may have once said we are writing the story of our lives, but I think that big data is writing it for us. They may very well be as omniscient as the god people worship on weekends. I, I agree. Uh, I don't, arguably more omniscient. Uh, I, I think that you could absolutely make the argument for that. How, how does that make you feel, if I don't mind? If you don't mind me asking, getting the, getting those reminders, uh, looking at your consumption in, in, uh, in a weekly or daily report, does, does it make you feel regretful? Uh, are, are you grateful that you're more aware? What, what is your reaction when you see those numbers? Well, the Google map I like because I like to travel, and so those are nice little reminders of like, oh, I went here and I went there, and that was fun and all that. But uh, the weekly screen report usually makes me feel guilty it's like holy cow i spent seven hours a day <laughs> looking at this thing i mean that leaves 17 hours for doing all the other things that i have to do you know like work and eat and bathe and all the you know all that and you know try to be rested a little bit <laughs> it doesn't leave much time um we look at our phones a lot absolutely you know it, it's probably the one caveat uh, as far as me, me loving what I do, absolutely, is is the more successful I am in keeping people's attention, uh, the more I'm detracting their attention from other things. Uh, we had a brief discussion about Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad before we came into the studio today. Uh, you know, one of my favorite scenes in that show is when Jimmy goes out with his brother Chuck and they sit on a park bench. And they take their, their shoes and socks off and they just curl their toes in the grass. And, uh, you know, it, I like that scene because it makes me ask myself, when's the last time I did something like that? When's the last time I went outside and sat on a park bench and just sat there and enjoyed my surroundings and enjoyed the sunlight, you know, moved my feet through blades of grass just to have that sensation and that, that connection with the world around me. When's the last time I did something like that? And, I, and it's not very often nowadays. Uh, I think that people, um, and you know, some of this has to do with the pandemic, but it's been an ongoing trend for some time. People are much more secluded to their, their places of comfort and their technology. 
And as, as much as I love technology and I'm a huge fan of it and I love what I do for a living, uh, I, I kind of lament that we're having less moments like that every day. So is it just an artifact of the digital age then that we can run but we can't hide? I mean, after all, 85% of us own a smartphone these days, and it's always trying to communicate with a tower or hop on Wi-Fi. We are always on. I, I would agree with that. Uh, I just I can't fathom a future where the level of advertising that you experience uh, it, it has, has done anything but grow. Um, but the the methods in which you're being advertised to the form of the advertisement is absolutely going to be different i mean i I think about you know people laugh at uh facebook's metaverse you know i I don't think that it's been a very successful project uh, up to this point but it, it it proposes a very compelling question how long is it until we have a reality that's completely separate from ours. What are the potential uh, opportunities for advertising in a space like that? Um, yeah, you could get very Orwellian with it, I think, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see a future where we're able to escape advertising. Speaking of Orwell, uh, many people my age had to read his 1984 when we were in junior high. It tells the story of a dystopian society in which a nefarious government eavesdrops on its citizens and enforces newspeak as it maintains a stranglehold on its people. I tell my students that while the roles have changed and it is now companies in charge who are doing all the monitoring, we may very well have finally reached 1984. What are your thoughts on this? I think about it all the time. <laughs> uh, you know, as someone who's a, who's a huge fan of George Orwell, um, uh, it's especially interesting to go back and read that book. And in retrospect, um, it was it was prophetic, um, almost more than it's a work of fiction. Uh, I I I think that we are lucky in the sense that uh, the the future that we find ourselves in is it, it's not quite trying to suppress us um, but when you have that many people competing for your attention you know you, you could consider that a form of suppression as well you know it, it, you, you could argue that your your attention where it otherwise would have been directed to something else is now being directed to 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 these things you know kind of like what i was talking about before the only thing i lament about my line of work is you know the, the more successful i am of obtaining someone's attention the more attention i'm i'm taking away from something else that i believe to be important or to be necessary to be happier and healthier uh, I, I think that that's a concern I, I think that uh, I, I think that companies could be could find a way to be creatively responsible in the sense that uh, the the need for attention isn't a twenty four seven affair. 
or a 25-8 affair as, as it's really become in today's age. You know, is, is there a point in time where we'll live in a society that says that, you know, between these hours, you're not allowed to advertise. Everybody needs to go outside. Is that something that we're going to have to do one day? I don't know. And what about sites like TikTok, which is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance? There have been a lot of allegations flying that in spite of its massive global popularity, it's really just a huge data collection project by a government that isn't exactly our best ally. I don't think that you'd have to speculate too far to, to come to a conclusion like that. But, uh, you know, it, it goes back to what I, what I said before about uh, concerns over privacy and modern marketing. You know, you, you can't. You can't be upset about something that you voluntarily offered, that you, you've legally entered into an agreement. I think it's the responsibility of people to to be more aware of what it is they're agreeing to and, and what they're allowing people to have access to. Um, and a lot of it is, un, is you know, underhanded and, and, and doesn't present itself as something that you need to be cautious of. Um, and absolutely, I, I think that companies could be a little bit more transparent. Um, but, but at the end of the day, it is, it is your responsibility to make sure that you are completely aware of what it is that you are allowing people to have access to in your life. Um, and, and, and it's, it's great to operate on the basic assumption that if you're doing something online, it's not private. Um, even though we would all like to believe so, we would like to believe that every message we've ever sent is going to remain private, or every picture that we've sent or received, uh, that every every submission to a forum on a website where you are operating under anonymity is private. It's not. Every Companies know what you're doing, where you're doing it from, what kind of device you're doing it from. I mean, down down to you know the the make and model of your cell phone. People know what you're doing and how you're doing it. Uh, and I I wish that I could provide more comfort to people, and, and say that uh, uh, there there is a way to avoid that. But there's not. If you're if you're going to be active in the digital world, you you're going to make a sacrifice of privacy. But you know, I, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that uh, the safer you are, uh, the more privacy you have, um, perhaps the less liberty you have, perhaps the, the less fun you're having to a degree. You know, it, it, I don't know what China's intent with TikTok is. I, I don't know exactly what they would use your information for. Um, I would say if that, if that is something that alarms you, don't use it. If you like watching 15 to 30 second blurbs of funny cats and people dancing and, and just pure turn your brain off and have fun content, then go for it. You know. We've all heard it said many times, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. What are your thoughts on this, Jacob? Well, I th I, that's absolutely true in my opinion. You know, there's you hear you hear your your parents, teachers, 
um, people you look up to your entire life tell you from the time that you're a child there's no such thing as free there's no such thing as free um, that there's there is some aspect of the relationship that is benefiting um, both parties in some form or fashion um, if you are a part of a product or service or platform that is not asking for your money they're deriving something else of value from you um, and that could be I mean that could be you offering up uh, certain personal information but it, it could also be something like your input uh, you know the, you, you see there's there's a multitude of services now uh, that uh, are valuable as uh, resources because people who have certain areas of expertise or experience are offering up their knowledge freely. I mean, I think Reddit is an incredible platform. It's, 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 it's not always great. There's a lot of things about Reddit that I don't like. But it, it's incredible the amount of subreddits that you can find that have valuable uh, sources of information from, from the kind of people that you would normally have to pay to get that information from. Uh, uh, now, absolutely don't derive legal advice from Reddit, you know, disclaimer, but there are a, a multitude of subreddits out there where, where legal experts are going on and answering questions that people have. Um, you know, wh wh what's the price on that? Well, the, the advantage for you is you get access to that kind of information for free. And, and you didn't have to go out and pay for it. You didn't have to go out and hunt it down. It was right there at your fingertips. And the advantage that Reddit gives is they're keeping your attention. Their, their, their user rates have never been better. The more subreddits they have, the more information that they have to provide to people, the more wealth they have as a website, as a company. So, so you, you by, by nature of you just posting on that platform, you're providing something of value to them. Um, you are you are the product. When we come back, we'll sneak a peek into the future of digital marketing and advertising and see where it might be going. The MBA is the most popular graduate degree in the United States and with good reason. It leads to better jobs, promotions, and salary increases. At the Paul and Virginia Engler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, our MBA program is entirely online for when you're ready to make that move. With as few as 31 credit hours and specializations offered in five areas, you can fast track your career in as little as 18 months. Whether you're looking for a promotion or initial job placement, you'll stand head and shoulders above the competition. And because we've been teaching online since 1997, we're not the new kids on the block. Trust your education and career to dedicated faculty who are not only experts in their fields, but also old pros in the online arena. Our consistently high rankings say it all. A GMAT waiver is available. We're AA CSB accredited and among the most elite of business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT MBA in hand. For more information, find us at wtamu.edu slash COB or call 806-651-2500. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach those stars.
I've been teaching various forms of digital marketing for almost 25 years now, starting with basic e-commerce, then evolving into social media and now mobile and all the latest advances. We've come a long way in such a short time, and when I look back on how and what I taught when I arrived here way back in 1989, as well as what I learned in that first marketing course in 1977, I sometimes feel like we're living on a different planet. Is this pace of change going to keep going like this, or will it slow down or just keep accelerating? It's hard trying to keep up. I mean, I spend a lot of time trying to keep up with all the latest stuff, not just as a consumer, but especially as a professor. Um, is this treadmill ever going to end? You know, I, I wish I had a more clear-cut answer to that question. Uh, I, I think that my, my gut impulse is to say that uh, this level of growth is not sustainable. But people have been saying that for a very long time and proven wrong. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, I'm enthralled, and I'm also a little nervous about the rate of progress that we experience technologically um, uh, within, within the professional realm. Uh, you know, not only are, is your cell phone going to be able to do more and, and, and provide more for you in 10 years, but it's also scary to think that your job might be obsolete in 10 years. Uh, that, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think about is, you know, what's the trade-off? And, and I, I think that all that you can do right now is speculate. Um, you know, as far as marketing is concerned, all I can do is speculate. But I, I can tell you that the trend is that nothing is, uh, you know, hitting a speed bump anytime soon, I would say. I, uh, I taught my first online class here in 97. I know my students have all had to listen to me tell these stories over and over and over again. But back then, we were on dial-up, and all of our web pages were just text, maybe a small number of images. But we had to be careful about bandwidth because we didn't have any. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, I had to learn HTML, you know, all this stuff just to be able to put together my classes. Now we have... Uh, learning management software. We use Blackboard here. We can incorporate all kinds of discussion boards, audio, video, everything. Uh, it just means that all of us have had to make adaptations and, and keep up with the pace of change. And yet, back in 97, there were a lot of professors who were worried their jobs were going to be rendered obsolete. If anything, it's the exact opposite. There's huge demand for people who can do all these things, but boy, we got to keep adding more tools to the tool chest. Absolutely, there, there's a there's an expectation for adaptability that's more prevalent now than ever before. Um, and uh, you know, I, I like to think that I'll always be able to keep up with it. Um, I've done a pretty good a pretty good job up to this point in my life. I mean. Uh, and especially younger generations, they're going to be fine. Uh, my son, my son is five years old and uh, already technologically proficient to a level, to a degree that I'm not comfortable with. So I have to limit his use of technology because I'm like, okay, you're you're already capable of doing things with this technology that maybe I don't want you to do. Um, and he hasn't done anything seriously wrong 
on on a cell phone or a tablet, but uh, uh, he's sharp. And I think a lot of kids are like that nowadays because they were just born immersed into this digital age. They, they're they as much a product of the digital age as the digital products that we consume. Um, uh, and uh, the, the evolution of the time that we're in right now, uh, it will be interesting to progress alongside. Do you think there will be new methods of advertising then that we have not yet even begun to dream about? Absolutely. You know, I talked a little bit about uh, virtual reality and uh, the, the opportunities that it could provide potentially to advertisers. The only limit to advertising is, is you know, your imagination and the practical applications that you have as far as the technology that's available to you at that point in time you know it's really just a matter of seeing what kind of technology becomes available to us in the near future and the applications that we have to be able to uh to use that you know i I think that uh one of the things that's going to be really interesting for advertising in the future is uh you know smart home features like you know a lot of people have uh, an, an Amazon Echo in their kitchen or uh, a Google Dot. I think Apple even has their own smart home device now. Um, you know, that mic is always on. That mic is listening to you. That, that, that mic is passively learning what you like to talk about, what you're interested in, you know. Uh, and it's connected to applications that understand your shopping habits. Amazon knows what you're buying. Google knows what you're buying. You know, we've, we've invited agents of advertising into our homes in the form of smart home devices. I think that's already a pretty interesting glimpse into the future. Um, I don't know what's next after that. What does this all mean for old school advertising? Will we always have broadcast print and outdoor? I mean, after all, you're station has already evolved considerably since the digital revolution began. You're doing a lot more than just broadcasting, but we also know that the revolution isn't over. Um, does it, are there going to be victims along the way and we're not going to do some of these old school methods? I think it would be naive for me to say that uh, this industry will never change any further, that, that television broadcast will always be there um you know my my director at abc7 uh said to me you know you know 10 years ago or 20 years ago your job was much easier than it is now the level of competition was was easier the the way that you would go about making sales is easier he said you know at one point in time you know you used to be able to just say to someone hey do you want a spot, you know, on Seinfeld? And boom, yeah, you made a sale. Because, of course, everybody wants to be seen next to, you know, Tim Pole programming like that. Uh, but it's different now. Like you said, we, 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 we have been forced to evolve. We, we're not solely a broadcast solution. Uh, we, we do everything within the digital marketing space. Uh, and we even do... Um, uh, other forms of like direct marketing, uh, like direct mail campaigns. Um, 
but I think it's not going to be going anywhere anytime soon because of something that we discussed earlier that digital marketing uh, is becoming a little bit more expensive and it's extremely competitive I mean a, a, a sharp kid with a laptop can compete with a company that has 500 employees as long as he's smart and and he's he's careful and in, in the way that he produces content and and spends money on campaigns um, but television uh, is is more affordable than ever now um, so it, it's really just a matter of, of, of demand you know uh, demand is always going to be there for cheaper ways to market that are that are effective in their own way if CPMs are what you're looking for absolutely TV is incredible you know we, we talked a little bit about that before so I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon as a form of marketing I think the determining factor for when TV goes away is going to be consumers themselves when do people stop watching TV that that's going to be the final nail in the coffin if you had to picture your job in 10 years what would it be like and how would it be different from today oh you know i i i think it would it would be even more competitive absolutely uh, i think that the applications for digital advertising would would be even more immense um and and i think that in 10 years we may see a trend where we stop trying to adopt old school into the new school as much as we do now. And what, what I mean by that is, uh, I mean, take television, for example. Uh, I, I obviously, you know, I think that television has its applications and that it's useful. Um, but it, it's nowhere near as targeted or, ne or near as effective uh, as digital marketing. Um, so we, we've gone to streaming, but we're still advertising on streaming the same way that we're advertising on TV. And you could argue that some people cut their cable, not just because of the price of cable, but because they were tired of being advertised to on cable the way that they were. Uh, so we, we've, we've taken something from, from an era that uh, is past its prime and are, are taking it into the modern time. Is that is that smart though? Is it smart to advertise to people on streaming the same way that we advertised to them on TV and drove them away from TV? Uh, I think in 10 years, the answer will be no. We have to be more creative with the way that we talk to consumers, the way that we partner with businesses to, to build creative that gets a response from the market. Uh, you know what what we're doing now works will it work in 10 years i don't know for some for some things i don't think so our guest today has been jacob buse of sinclair broadcast group and abc7 amarillo in the process we've heard a digital marketing pro tell us like it really is and where we're headed jacob give us your best parting shot i would say that if you're a university student right now and you have an interest in in marketing, you have an interest in business, you know, especially if you're a student at WT, you're in the right place. Uh, go out and get that practical experience. Go out there and 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 learn things for yourself as well. 
um, you know, start start using the application, start using the systems, start learning about the things that are going to make you successful in that business because things change so rapidly about that by the time you graduate or by the time you start sending out your resumes, it might not be relevant anymore. And that's not your professor's fault. But uh, that's the world that we live in. You know, you, you can never stop learning, but that's the fun of this business. And, and if, you're, if you're captivated by things like that, uh, you're going to be a great fit for marketing. And by the way, if you are a student at WT and you are interested in broadcast, you're interested in marketing, you're interested in the things that I do, um, we're always looking for, for young, aspiring professionals and talent. So um, give me a shout. You've been listening to Buff Speak from the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. Our executive producer is Justin Lovell, and Allison Hunter is our associate producer. Our co-editors are Maverick Evans and Paul Torres. Lindsay Bjork is our director of marketing and outreach initiatives, which includes overseeing BuffSpeak. Dr. Jeffrey Babb is director of accreditation and is our technical consultant. Finally, Dr. Amjad Abdullah is dean of the college. You can find us online at wtamu.edu slash cob for more information about our programs. Be sure to check out our many academic offerings. Come for the quality, stay for the small classes, affordable tuition, and friendly approachable professors. And look online at our faculty blog, profspeak.com, for more insights. You can listen to BuffSpeak on your favorite podcast portal, as well as on our website, buffspeak.biz. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't be afraid to share us with your friends, colleagues, and family. Word of mouth has always been the best form of advertising. Until next time, love one another. For the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, I am Dr. Nick Gerlich. And as always, go Buffs! Buff speak.